everybody and welcome to Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network. It is a pleasure to be with you again this morning. My name is Liam and yeah, today we're bringing you another very special edition of The Breakfast Show. We have another double dose of Encounter with God. Uh, this time it is Lyle and Gemma who will be bringing you more about Daniel going back to one of the shows we did in February. So yeah, sit tight, enjoy, and I just pray that you were all blessed. And I pray, I also pray that you all had a wonderful Easter holiday or a wonderful Easter weekend. And that, uh, you know, today we are celebrating, yesterday we were celebrating the rise of Jesus Christ and the return, and we now we can focus on when he will one day return again. So yeah, um, welcome everybody. I will uh, I'll, I'll just do a couple of things and, and, and uh, yeah, then we'll move on. This is a reminder, you're listening to the delayed broadcast here on Faith FM. If you would like to listen to the live show live and participate in the quiz and the prizes and all the other fun things that happen on Faith FM Breakfast Show, then simply download the Faith FM app available on Apple or Android platforms.
Daniel chapter 6. <laughs> and we finished in verse 5. We did. Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Oh, that's right. We argued because I think my translation is better. No, yours is lame. Yours is... <coughs> yeah, look, I can't say yours is lame yours, is, yours, is, the, yours is pretty yours good. Is the, yours is the LT. Yes. The, the NLT, sorry. The NLT. The, the NL- new lame translation. Oh. Ah. Ah. <laughs> okay, verse six. verse six. Are you sure you want this translation, though? It's no, it's lame. terrible, but I will let you read it just so I can show the superiority of mine. Oh, okay. Fine, <laughs> fine. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, Long live King Darius. And verse 7 as well. We and 8. Anything else? And 9. Are you sure? Yeah. Is that work. it? Uh-huh. Okay, cool. We, we are all in agreement. We administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, Your Majesty, issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So, King Darius signed the law. Okay, now there's a couple of interesting things that uh, come out of this verse right here. First of all, I guess, well, where will we start? Let's start with the Persian constitution. Mm-hmm. We mentioned we've we've been mentioning the Persian deal and how it was a good deal, and how they would come to various nations or kingdoms or cities or fortresses and they would offer them the Persian deal. And part of the Persian deal was very good laws. Yes. One of the safeguards that they had in making good laws was this particular law within their constitution, which, when something was signed into law, it could not be changed. Hmm. Now. This has a number of faults to it, as we're going to see as we go through this particular um, What about contradictory story. laws? Like if you make one law that, you know, you have to do this oh, and, and this is such and a good another question. law that has like contradictory, how do you... This is, this is such a good question. Let me come back to that one. Okay. All right. We'll put a pin in that. We'll be put a pin in that one and remind me about it if I forget, if I forget to come back to it. Okay. Okay. So this was the this was the to be able to do pull off the Persian deal successfully and to conquer the world without too much military conquest, they had to have good laws. Yeah. One of the problems was when you've got an emperor who can sign whatever he wants into law, hmm. the danger is that you can end up with frivolous laws. Yeah. That like- create. Problems for the nation. Yeah, because you just have heaps and heaps of laws for every little thing. Exactly. It's like, oh, this is annoying me today. Let me make this law. The idea behind these, this particular article in the Persian constitution that a law could not be changed, the idea behind this was that this was a safeguard method, a, make, a, a method to make you know kings and rulers think twice before they signed in something into law and to ensure that they didn't create frivolous laws. Hmm. You know, because if you can create any law you want, you're just like, oh, I created this law. Oh, tomorrow I changed it. Hmm. You know, I just made this law so that I could catch you today. Uh, you know, and they could, you have got ultimate power. You can do all kinds of corrupt things. And so this was a part of showing to the world, we are not a corrupt nation. We don't write frivolous laws. We don't just make, you know, random judgments based on how we feel on the day. We make good laws. Yeah. Because our laws, once they're made, they do not change. Now, a part of that comes from this concept of emperor worship. 
Down through history, emperor worship has been a thing. And it came from a number of different perspectives, one of them being that, generally speaking, in your ancient mystery religions, you had basically two levels of religion. You had the lower levels, which were incredibly superstitious, where they had multiple gods, and they appeased those gods in many different ways. Then you had the higher levels, uh, where people were just plain atheists. Hmm. Uh, so, for instance, if you look at Egyptian religion, you know, at the higher levels of Egyptian religion, they were plain atheists. Yeah, true. They revered the power of nature, but they did not personify it. Hmm. So they revered and they recognized the power of nature. They recognized that nature to them was the most powerful thing that there was in the universe. They then took the power of nature and personified the power of nature for the plebs who were beneath them. <laughs> and so everybody who was beneath them was, you know, worshipping gods who were persons. And sometimes they were good persons and sometimes they were bad persons and they lived lives very much like human lives. They would, they would uh, have anger and hatred and love and envy and they would kill some people and they would save some people and they would, you know, have affairs and have children, all these kinds of different things. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. And so because the humans, sorry, because the gods were very, very human in the way that they acted, you know, if you read about the Greek gods, for instance, the Olympians and the Titans and how they interact with each other, uh, you find they're having very human interactions. Yeah. And so then when you get the higher levels where people are actually atheists, it's not a big leap for them to go, you know what? I'd actually like to be one of these gods. And if I can pull that off, then that's going to be an extra layer of power that I have over my people. And so this would happen on occasions hmm. um, where they would actually do that. They'd go, yeah, you know what? This would be a smart thing for me to participate in at this particular time. Um, I'm going to um, you know, put myself forward as a god. And they would actually be worshipped as gods. Often there was the, uh, you know, for, 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 for centuries or millennia, there was the divine right of kings. Mm. In other words, if you were king, you were there because um, you were there by divine right and everybody had to obey you. Probably the relic that we have still left of that today is what we find in the Vatican. Oh, yeah. Wow. So if you look at the Vatican today where the Pope can claim infallibility, of course, if you are infallible, then that makes you God. Hmm. Uh, because only God is infallible. Yeah, that's true. And because he can claim infallibility, he can make laws that cannot err. They cannot have fault in them. It's impossible for them to have fault. Therefore... They cannot change. Yeah, because if you're a faultless person and you make something, then the thing that you make isn't going to have any faults. Yeah. Now, of course, our current Pope Francis doesn't seem to be pushing that wheelbarrow particularly hard right now. Mm. Um, he certainly has not rescinded it in any way, shape or form. But he's possibly more willing than some of the other popes to admit that, yeah, they've made some mistakes in the past and maybe we could change this or maybe we could ease the rules there. Copying a lot of flack for it, but this is definitely, this is not just a medieval concept, this is an ancient concept. Yeah, true. Definitely does not belong in 2020. 
And so these laws, they kind of go together because if you are a divine being, if you are a God, and the reason that you are in power is because you are a God, then obviously you can't err. That means why would you change the laws? Changing the laws would just be a demonstration of the fact that you uh, had made a mistake and were not God. Oh, so that's why they couldn't change. One of the reasons why they couldn't change. One was so they didn't get frivolous laws. Admitting defeat. That's right. The other is linking yourself with a divine being, and and, or, or or presenting yourself, I should say, as a divine being. Right. Which means that you know, any change of law would be an omission of the fact that you were not. Hmm. And when we read this story, kind of goes down that path that, yes, Darius, you are not a divine being. Hmm. Okay, so those are our two big sort of legal issues that come through here in relationship to uh, emperor worship and also in relationship to uh, the laws in the Medes and the Persians, which cannot change. Now, the other issue, of course, we do need to address is that some emperors actually did believe in the personification of the gods. You know, it wasn't just at the higher levels that everybody was an atheist, not by any stretch of the imagination. Um, If you come down to Roman times, even late Roman times, you've got emperors like Diocletian who grew up as a peasant and was incredibly superstitious Mm. um, and was very much a believer in the gods and a follower of omens and very much threatened by Christianity because of that, because, you know, he'd conquered every other god that there was in the Roman world, but he'd not been able to conquer Christianity, because how do you conquer Christianity? Christianity was an international religion. Where do you find the nation that is Christianity? Hmm. And so the next best thing that you can do is to persecute Christianity, because it crosses all national boundaries, which no religion did up until that particular point. Um, And so you persecute it just to make sure that this new God, Jesus Christ, is not a threat to the Roman Empire. So basically what happened with the Roman Empire, when the Roman Empire was expanding, they would license the religions of the nations they conquered. And the reason they would do that is when they conquered a nation, let's say they conquered Greece, they licensed the Greek god. Well, actually, they worship Greek gods themselves, but that's beside the point. When they conquered Gaul, Mm-hmm. They would um, uh, they would license the religion of Gaul. Like, yes, you may worship your religion. You so, have a license to do so, and the reason they would do so is because we're not afraid of your gods. We've already conquered them. If you want to worship them, more for you. You should come across to our gods, but you know you want to keep worshiping those ones. More for you. They're yeah. already conquered. They licensed the religion of Judaism, the worship of Yahweh. Yep. Yeah. Uh, because they had conquered the nation of Israel. Yeah, the so then Israel. the God of Israel didn't matter. Didn't matter. But yep. Christianity comes along, and Christianity is like, well, what nation does it belong to? Ooh, it doesn't have a So specific. how do you conquer that nation? Yeah, that's right, because they tied in which nation, which empire, exactly. and their gods were on the same playing field. But if Christianity doesn't have a nation or empire that it's connected with, then how do you destroy that god? Uh-huh. Or how do, you, how, do you, how do you test your gods versus that god? Ooh. And so because it just spread through the whole world and by the time, you know, Constantine comes to power, who's, uh, well, by the time Diocletian was in power, you know, one in ten people in the empire were Christian. That's, that's massive. That's huge. That's huge. That is absolutely off the charts massive. And it spread across every, every nation, every language. It's just everywhere. And so Diocletian was like, well, I can't go to war with that nation because that is not a nation. But he does persecute bitterly because he is 
superstitious and does actually believe in, he's, he's not atheist in any way, shape or form. Yep. It was interesting, the more secular and the more atheist the emperors were, the less they persecuted. Hmm. Yeah. It's a very strong argument in favour of secular government. I'm not opposed to Christian people. I think it's a positive thing when Christian people run secular government, so long as they run it as secular government and yeah, keep church and state, state separate, separate from yep. each other. Yep. Always a disaster when they are mixed together. Anyway, so this is what's happening here in this passage. And they're like, you know what? We've just uh, conquered the city of Babylon. Um, this would be a good way of uniting the empire now um, behind you that, okay, for the next month, you know, we've got a whole bunch of um, gods that Nabonidus stole and we've got to return them to their various nations. But for the time being, let's just make everybody worship you. Hmm. And for Darius, he's kind of like, why not? Oh, yeah, sure. Okay. That's fine. As you do when you've got <laughs> ultimate power. It's like, yeah, why not? I'll take that, sure. I'll be a god for a month. Fun. Actually, it was likely that he was already considered to be a god because of the position that he held. Mm. Um, they were just restricting lig- religious liberty to worship any other god for that period of one month. Yeah. Of 30 days. Okay, so this is going to become a problem for Daniel. And yesterday during question of the day, you know, the question was asked, you know, where was Daniel in in uh, in chapter three? Mm-hmm. The three worthies in the fiery furnace. Well, clearly he wasn't there. Where he was, we don't know, but clearly he wasn't there. But some people say, well, he was in chapter six. No, well, you know, that's we get the point. Um, and and what you're going to find come through here is exactly the same test. And this time it's directly going to affect Daniel. But in a different way, because, you know, Daniel has the opportunity here to save his life. Okay, so they are going to now try and pin the worship of Yahweh on Daniel sometime during this 30-month period. But how does somebody actually force you to worship? Can someone force you to worship? No, they can't. Yeah. So how are you going to collect evidence on this? It's not like Daniel is sacrificing lambs. There's no temple left. Hmm. Sacrifices have come to an end. How are they going to get cold, hard, prima facie evidence that Daniel is worshipping Yahweh during this period? They'd have to see him do it. They would have to see and to hear him do it, and you'd mm. have to have multiple people to testify of that fact. Yeah, yeah. Now, of course, you know, apart from the fact that we go to church once a week every Saturday, um, then how would people know who we worship? You know, when you're walking down the street, how does somebody look across and go, oh, I know who Gemma worships? Usually they don't. You can't, yeah. Usually they don't. There might be a few clues once you open your mouth and start to talk. They're like, oh, is this person a Christian? They sound like a Christian. <laughs> um, and so you would think, well, Daniel is there. There's no synagogues in Babylon. There's no temple in Babylon. You know, any worship that he does is going to be at his home. So how are they going to collect this evidence on him? Okay, this is what we're going to come back uh, and talk about. But right now, we need to take a song break and listen to Oh, Worship the King, the only one we should be worshipping. Oh, worship the King, all glorious above, and gratefully sing His power and His love. 
You're listening to Sharon and Shane with Oh Worship the King. This is okay. Where are we up to? We were talking about, um, yeah, we were we were talking about this law that was made. We got up to verse nine. We did. Okay, so we're just talking about the fact that you know Daniel doesn't have a temple. He doesn't have a synagogue. He doesn't really have much to worry about here. He worships at home, obviously. Um, and so you know who's going to dob him in from his uh, from his family or from his close associates? Who you know all he has to do is just more or less, you know, not invite anyone over during worship times while he's at home and he's in good shape, right? He could get away with it. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Absolutely. Piece of cake. Not. Why not? I don't know. Because something bad's going to happen. Okay. All right. Let's find out what bad thing happens. Verse 10, please. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just had just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Thank you. So what does he do? Goes home and prays. Prays? How? Where? With the window open facing Jerusalem. Oops. Oops. Why would you do that? He always has done that. He's always done that, but why now? I mean, there's a Lord. Don't do this. Why not just close the window? Uh, can God not hear through closed windows? Yes. Okay, so God can hear through closed windows. Yes. So then, why not just close the window? Does 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 he have to face the temple in Jerusalem? Mm. Is God sort of hovering over that temple somewhere? You know, maybe God's somewhere else in the universe and he could no, look out the other window? No, that doesn't work. So why does Daniel... I don't know. But I'm sure you do. do. This, why does Daniel do this strange thing? He gets himself into trouble. I don't know. Okay, so there's a couple of things that uh, immediately come to mind. Daniel is somebody who out throughout his life has been a consistent witness for the power of God. Yeah. 
Um, and he has consistently claimed that God is the only God and that God is all-powerful. Yeah, we know from previous chapters that he doesn't compromise on anything, the small right. things or the big things. And there's, would, would, there, would he be compromising his worship if he prayed inside? No. No? He could even leave the window open, just sort of pray further back in the room somewhere out of sight, right? True. Okay, but throughout his entire life, he has proclaimed that Yahweh is the only God. Yes. And that Yahweh is all-powerful. Yes. The moment he closes his window, what public proclamation has he just made? Oh, okay. So it's he has more just about publicly it. proclaimed yeah. that Darius is more powerful than Yahweh because it looks like he's obeying the law, the new law. It doesn't. Yeah, exactly, okay. exactly. And so Daniel is not going to do that. He's not going to bring a negative aspersion in any way, shape, or form on his God Yahweh, who is the only God. Yeah, if he closes his window and doesn't do what he normally does, it looks like he's backed down. It's a, it's a, it would be okay. And think about this. He is in his 80s. Yeah. He's been doing this in Babylon for 60 years. Okay. It's, yeah. He is the prime minister of Babylon. He is celebrity. You know, this is something that is super obvious. So people would notice. And imagine how fast the rumor would spread. Ooh. Daniel closed his window. Daniel is afraid of Darius. Daniel is more afraid of Darius than he is of Yahweh. Darius is more powerful than Yahweh. Oh, yeah. We learned wow. something new today. Yeah, so there was a lot actually at stake here. That would like dramatically shift the power it would. that Darius had. It would. Oof. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, the damage that it does to the reputation, because a lot of Yahweh has a massive reputation in Babylon and is highly favored amongst a lot of people. And there'd be a lot of people like, okay, the, the, the primary proponent of Yahweh as God thinks Darius is more powerful. How does that make any sense? Mm. All right, so that's why Daniel leaves his window open and he continues to pray in that open window. Why does he pray towards Jerusalem and the temple that is in Jerusalem? I remember hearing a sermon about this once, but can I remember and tell you now? Not a clue. Let's turn our Bibles to somewhere. Somewhere in Chronicles. Okay, cool. Chronicles. Um, One or two Chronicles. I am trying to remember where it is. I've got to find this verse. Hmm. It is... I feel like he does it out of habit because it's something that he's always done. But why has he always done that? I've got no idea. There's actually a very specific reason why he has done this. i just got to find the passage. Why is it escaping me right now? This is Chronic. Oh, man. Chronic when you can't find it in Chronicles. I thought it was right here. <laughs> yeah, it is right here. I was just in the wrong Chronicles. Oh, Gotta go. Job. Second Second Chronicles, chapter six. Second Chronicles, chapter six. Yes. What verse? Oh, let's get some uh, context. Context. So, if you start in verse one, this is what is happening. This is the dedication of the temple in Jerusalem that Solomon built. True. One of the wonders of the ancient world in its time, a building of unsurpassed magnificence and the Bible says that as a part of um, the dedication service that Solomon prays a prayer down in verse 12 he stood upon the before he stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands and 
you know, the, 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 the prayer starts in verse 14. O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven nor in the earth, which keep your covenant and show mercy to your servants that walk before you with all their hearts. And so he prays a really, really nice prayer. But then he comes down to, and he says, uh, you know, you need to listen to him because he kind of understands some things about human nature. And he says, you know, verse 22, If a man sin against his neighbor, and an oath be laid upon him to make him swear, and the oath come you know, before you an altar and before that house, then hear from heaven and judge your servants uh, by requiting the wicked, by recompensing his way upon his own head, and by justifying the righteous, by giving him according to his righteousness. And so he, says, he starts off by saying, you know, if somebody sins against somebody else, show them mercy because of this house. Uh, and then he works down through a whole bunch of different sins. And so this is a long chapter, as you will notice. Mm. There are 42 verses in the chapter. Um, why don't you read for us verse 36? Verse 36. If they sin against you, and who has never sinned, you might become angry with them and let their enemies conquer them and take them captive to a foreign land far away or near. Ah, oh. Did that happen? Did, well, yeah. It did. Yeah. So Solomon kind of, kind of sees what's happening. If they sin against you, because everyone sins, but you get angry with them and, and they're taken captive, then what? Verse 37. But in the land of exile, they might turn to you in repentance and pray, we have sinned, done evil, and acted wickedly. Okay. So they get to, and this is what happened once again, they get to Babylon and they suddenly realize, we've sinned. We need to repent. My bad. Then what should they do? If they turn to you with their whole heart and soul in the land of their captivity and pray toward the land you gave to their ancestors, towards this city you have chosen, and towards this temple I have built to honor your name. So Solomon says, if they're taken captive and they end up in this foreign land because of the sin that they have committed, and then they repent of their sins and they pray, whereabouts, what direction are they? How are they supposed to pray? Pray towards the temple. Towards the temple, towards the city, towards the land. Then what is God to do in verse 39? Then hear their prayers and their petitions from heaven where you live and uphold their cause. Forgive your people who have sinned against you. Okay, so we can stop right there for a moment. So this is what's happened hundreds and hundreds of years previously, but we find that Daniel is a very keen student of the Bible. Yes. And so he is praying towards Jerusalem, towards Israel, towards Judah, towards the temple every single day for the restoration of his people because he knows that God will answer this prayer. This is a prayer that Solomon had prayed so long before. This is what Daniel is praying, and this is why he's praying it. We have a record of the prayer that Daniel prayed in his open window at this particular time. Did you know that? No. We're going to read it tomorrow. Ooh. You'll have to be here. Ooh. Right now, we're going to listen to Alison Krauss and Union Station with A Living Prayer.
listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. You're a teacher. Woohoo! But you want a bit more. Hmm. You are ready to upskill. Maybe you're eyeing off head of department, education director, or even principal. Further your career by studying a Master of Education at Avondale University College. Just think of the difference you're making now. And think of the difference you could make with a Master of Education. Avondale University College. Called to be an educator? Called to be at Avondale. Why me, Lord? What have I ever done? To deserve even one of the pleasures I've known. Tell me, Lord, what did I ever do that was worth loving you or the
Welcome back, everybody. That was CC Winnens with Why Me. You're listening to the Breakfast Show here on Faith FM. And uh, Gemma, why don't you give us another clue for our? Let's 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 do a quiz clue and see if somebody can snap one up off one clue right at the end of the show. Okay, wait. I want to pick a good one. Okay, here we go. The Lord proclaimed to those who insult and reproach his people will be devoured by this creature. So what creature am I? Okay. Read that one again. (laughs) The The Lord proclaimed that those who insult and reproach his people will be devoured by this creature. I have no idea. <gasps> Ooh. I'll give you double prizes if you can snap that one in the last uh, <laughs> couple of minutes of the show. You've got, let me see here, you've got about 13 minutes to come up with an answer. It's possible. Yeah, oh, absolutely. All right, so question of the day is, where did Jesus live? Gemma, where did Jesus live? What continent? I was just going to say Nazareth. No, that's a lame answer. Come on. What? What continent did Jesus live on? I don't know. What uh, what would we what 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 kind of region would we call him? Would we call him? I mean, it's the Middle East now, but like, I don't know. Jesus how. comes from Asia. Well, yeah. Jesus is Asian. Well, well, yeah, but like, no, <laughs> no, he is. Well, I mean, Jesus is Asian. Yes. Because Middle East is part of Asia, which is part... Yeah, well, yeah, but that sounds weird. Nobody ever says Jesus is Asian. Like, when you ask me about continent, I'm like, well, the obvious answer here is Asia, but I don't want to say that because that's I love weird. I love telling Chinese people this because when they, <sighs> they're like, oh, why isn't... You know, China was such a great empire for like 4,000 years. Why yeah. wasn't China mentioned... You know, why, why isn't Asia mentioned in the Bible? And I'm like, um, Jesus was Asian? <laughs> Have you ever noticed the Asian games and the Israelis play in the Asian games? <laughs> That's th- so Jesus was Asian. Yes, we always think that, but it doesn't we, sound right. How many how many paintings have you seen he of Jesus was where Eastern, he okay. is where, where Jesus is not Middle Eastern? He is not Asian. He uh. is um, Caucasian. Oh, many, so many. Do you ever see a, a Middle Eastern Jesus? No, very rarely. Eh? Occasionally very you rarely. might. Occasionally you might. But it's pretty rare that you see a Middle Eastern Jesus, and that's kind of because um, Jesus um, did his ministry during the. Roman era, yes. and the Roman era was very Western-centric, so very European-centric. Mm. So your previous empires were very Asian-centric. Um, Babylon and Persia, of course, were Asian empires. The Greeks, you know, they came across and they conquered, um, you know, the whole Persian Babylonian Empire. And, of course, as a result of that, they... Um, they, you know, they, they were you know very much an Asian part of the world, even though they were European. But yeah, Jesus was Asian, <sighs> but he didn't live his entire life in Asia. No. Where else did he live? What, what other continent? Jesus lived some of his life on an, on another continent. I'm gonna hazard a guess and say Europe. Yeah, but you would be wrong. <laughs> well, it kind of well, it can't have been Australia or Antarctica. So I don't know what else. Africa. Where? Oh, hang on. Jesus spent three years in Africa. Let me use my brain for a second. What? The Bible says that Jesus spent three years in Africa. When? When he was a young child. When? Under the age of two. When? Okay, so when Herod where? tried. To, uh, where, okay. When Herod tried to destroy Jesus, 
He killed everybody under the age of two in the city of Bethlehem, right? Yes. Jesus and his family escaped to Africa. What? Because Egypt is a part of Africa. And they spent three years in Egypt before they came back. He grew up as a exile, uh, as an immigrant in Africa. Wow. There's always something new to learn, isn't there? Okay, so... Like, I mean, like, I knew that, but I just... My brain never thinks that, oh, yeah, Jesus <laughs> spent time in Africa, or Jesus is Asian. My brain just doesn't go there. But, like, I knew that, but, like, that's so weird. Why do it we... It is. It is. We it's never like, talk about like that. It's like when I went to Egypt the first time, and I've sent a text message home to uh, everybody, you know, that was on, sort of on the family list, and I'm like, yay, I'm in Africa. And everyone's like, what? Africa? We didn't know you were going to Africa. What are you doing in Africa? Geography lesson. Egypt is in Africa. Absolutely. Wow. Egyptians are Africans. So there you go. Jesus lived in Africa and Asia. That's where he came from. He was not European. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> this is Anna Beden with Genuine Love.
you to be God's hands and feet in your communities, to stay positive and to stay connected in this virus season. Remember to call your friends and family and ask if there's anything they need, whether it's food, some toilet paper or just a chat. Little things like this make a big difference to loved ones who just want to know that you're safe and sound. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. said than done but now there's a new approach to help us be more forgiving a program called forgive to live it's designed to help us all improve our lives you'll discover the healing power of forgiveness a relationship breakdown long-term hurt unresolved conflict through forgive to live you can break this cycle and start living a more forgiving life so if you're keen to take that first step head to forgive to live.org.au this is Anna Beden and stay tuned to Faith FM. Lift your head, little one. Lift your eyes to see the sun. Lift your heart.
sunset in.